This is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, good morning, and thanks so much for tuning in. I have my Bible open to Matthew chapter 3. I hope that you'll grab a Bible and join me in our study this morning. I'm going to be thinking about uh, a hot topic in the religious world, something, uh, a couple of words that are thrown around uh, quite a bit, and uh, I'll get to into more details of that in a moment. First, I just want to say uh, welcome any questions that you may have uh, as a result of this study. Please uh, feel free to email us those at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Uh, you can find that email address on our website, actually, at leonvalleychurch.org, uh, alongside of a number of other resources, uh, past sermons and daily meditations and articles and things like this that uh, you can use. Feel free to download those and share those uh, for your own study. Uh, welcome that. And, of course, uh, again, uh, welcome your questions. Please feel free to submit those. Um, so to begin with, I want to ask a question. How many times have you heard uh, somebody say, well, you're just being pharisaical? Well, you've heard that accusation. Maybe that accusation has even been leveled at you. And I want us to reflect upon this morning, what what is it that people typically mean uh, when they start to throw this label around? For whatever reason, uh, they feel that it's justified to call someone pharisaical. Uh, and even if we don't fully understand what it means and we don't understand the implications of what people are saying, uh, we know it's not good. Uh, you know, even a cursory glance into the New Testament and we see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. We see how they opposed Jesus and how they conspired against Jesus and pretended to be righteous, uh, Luke says. And so uh, we have all these negative connotations. And so it's, you know, obviously a derogatory uh, accusation. It's not a good thing. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee today. And it's usually also associated with another slippery term, and that is legalist or uh, being legalistic or practicing legalism or however it is that people uh, phrase uh, their accusation. Uh, nobody wants to be that either. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee. Nobody wants to be a legalist and with good reason. And uh, what I want to do this morning is to think about who the Pharisees really were in the New Testament. Because I think in a lot of cases, uh, when that accusation is thrown around, uh, a lot of people don't really understand the seriousness of such a charge when they accuse someone or some of their brethren of being Pharisaical. Uh, so let's just ask the question to begin with, who were the Pharisees that we read about in, in the New Testament? And so uh, Matthew chapter 3 is where I want to begin we catch our first glimpse of of these men as they are encountering John the Baptist. So, um, and verse seven it says that when he uh, that is that is John the Baptist is the he here in verse seven when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, "You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come." Therefore, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. And so, one of the things 
that John the Baptist raises here as he is clearly calling out the Pharisees, right? He doesn't have a very, and the Sadducees for that matter, he doesn't have very good things to say to them. He he calls them, in fact, in verse 7, a brood of vipers who warned you about the wrath to come and to flee. But then he admonishes them in verse 8, and he says, you bear fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, follow through with this apparent change of heart and change of mind that you have uh, in this repentance and and take action. Bear fruit in your life for God. Uh, but verse 9, I want us to, to single out here that he says, Don't suppose you can say to yourself that we have Abraham for our father because God is able to raise up children to Abraham from any of these stones that you see. Uh, so... This supposition that they apparently had that John takes them to task on in verse 9, this had nothing to do with them thinking uh, they could earn their salvation, but it had everything to do with their pride and their physical lineage. So apparently they thought they could say to themselves, Abraham is my father, and by virtue of that fact, I am I'm right with God. I am part of God's chosen people because Abraham is my ancestor. But the truth that John wanted them to understand, the truth was and the truth is that unless they bore fruit in keeping with repentance, uh, the fact that they were descendants of Abraham was meaningless because God could raise up children to Abraham from stones if he wanted to and match Abraham's genome, if, if you will. Uh, so their physical heritage and their physical lineage had nothing to do with their Salvation. They needed to keep the commandments of God. They needed sincere and genuine uh, repentance. So they trusted in the fact that they were descendants of Abraham and that that was uh, reason to believe that they were righteous and that they consider themselves righteous. Uh, but John says that's not the case at all. And of course, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way of the Lord as a harbinger of Christ. And he spoke the truth. He is a prophet of God. Jesus affirms that, and so, he, of course, he's speaking the truth here in God's Word to these men. And that's something we need to take heart to heart as well. You know, we a lot of times put a lot of faith in our heritage or uh, uh, put faith in the faith of our parents uh, and what they believe and what they have taught us. And certainly there is a sense uh, scripturally in which faith can be inherited. Uh, you know, as Paul tells Timothy, the faith that was in him dwelt first, and Lois and Eunice, his mother and, and grandmother. But Timothy didn't physically inherit that, right? Paul is saying that by virtue of the fact that you have faithful women who, who taught you, I can see that influence in, in your life as, as a faithful young man. Uh, and that was very important to Paul, but it wasn't that Timothy was just, uh, again, physically and just zapped with faith because... His mom and his grandma were faithful. Uh, no, Timothy had to act responsibly as an individual and take charge of his own life and, and be repentant and be uh, willing to bear fruit for God in, in his own life. Uh, and the same is true uh, with us. We can't suppose that uh, we can just trust that our parents were good and that we somehow inherit that or that because of what our ancestors may have accomplished uh, you know, by virtue of their accomplishments, we somehow share in that. Um, again, that's not not the case. Another point I want to make from Mark chapter 7. Again, the question we're asking is, who were these Pharisees? So we've seen they trusted in their physical lineage and that they were descendants of Abraham. I thought that somehow gave them um, a special spiritual standing with God, regardless of how 
uh, they behaved or how they lived. And John's proven that that's not the case, and Scripture proves that that's not the case at all. Uh, but another another characteristic we see here of the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, in verse 5, and really the bulk of that chapter, as Jesus here is addressing a number of the traditions uh, that they have because they've challenged Jesus and his disciples, why don't they wash their hands? Um, in verse 5, the, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread uh, with impure hands, that is to say, un, unwashed hands? Uh, and some of these traditions, as Jesus says, were their own, and they had superseded the word of God by binding these traditions upon other men. And so, verse 13, Jesus says, You invalidate the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So Jesus names a couple of examples uh, here in Mark chapter 7. Uh, but the main point, the main get from Mark chapter 7 that we see is that the Pharisees added their man-made traditions to the Word of God, or elevated them to the Word of God, and even in some cases, as Jesus says, uh, invalidated and supplanted the Word so that they could maintain their traditions. And he says, you do this in many, many different ways, verse 13. Um, and some of those things, like washing your hands before eating, that the Pharisees wanted the disciples to do here, that's not inherently wrong. I mean, we do that all the time today. We understand uh, you know about germs and how it's a good practice uh, really to exercise cleanliness and wash our hands before we eat but this was something that was not commanded by God as they had supposed or as they at least preached and so when they used this tradition to judge other people to judge others as in verse 5 why aren't your disciples doing this and they're going against the tradition of the elders you know they're accusing the men here of of sinning, basically. And when they did that, and when they elevated this tradition to the to the same status as the Word of God, uh, and that it bore the same force as the Word of God, they overstepped the line. And that's what Jesus is calling them out on here. So you're supplanting the Word of God with your tradition. And he warns them about that. And thus, by extension, he is, he is warning us. So that was another characteristic of the the Pharisees. They trusted in their physical lineage. They had all these traditions uh, that they had made, that they elevated to be on the same plane as the Word of God, that were as binding as God's Word and His commands. Uh, but they weren't. They were just their their own. They uh, negated God's commandments with some of their uh, traditions. You look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, still you're you're neglecting, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. And he was saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition, thus invalidating the word of God. So some of their traditions went beyond choice to actually negating what God had commanded. And one example that Jesus gives here in verse 10 is that Moses, in the law of Moses, said that honor your father and mother, uh, and he who speaks he who speaks evil of father or mother shall be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, 
that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God. And so they thought they had found this loophole uh, that they created by their tradition that God said, honor your father and mother. And sometimes that translates, uh, obviously, as Jesus is saying, to an honorarium or giving them uh, money or support uh, to meet their physical needs, whatever the case may be. Uh, but when someone challenges you on that and you say, oh, it's, oh, it's Corbin, it's given to God. And so I don't have to, I don't have to support my parents. I don't have to honor them in that way. Jesus says plainly, you, you're neglecting the word of God. Something else that the Pharisees did, another characteristic apart from their traditions and apart from trusting in their heritage or their their genealogy or their physical lineage, is that they rejected God's purpose for themselves. How did they do that? I think Luke chapter 7 reveals the answer for us. So Jesus here in verse 28 is, is speaking of John the Baptist, and he says, I say to you, among those who have been born of women, there is none greater than John, and yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged, acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But look at verse 30 now. Uh, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized. By John. So that's a pretty serious charge that Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit to level against the, the Pharisees here. They had rejected God's purpose for themselves because they re rejected John's baptism. So one aspect of Pharisaism is the rejection of that which God willed. According to Luke, according to the Spirit, who inspired Luke in Luke chapter 7 and verse 30. So if God commands something and we ignore it, as the Pharisees did, right? John was sent by God, he was a prophet of God, chosen by God, uh, but the Pharisees argued their way out of what John was saying, or they diminished it, uh, and they ultimately refused to obey, and so that means they rejected God's purpose for themselves. Then that means, you know, if we follow suit, then, then we're being Pharisaical. That's what being Pharisaical means, at least in part. To reject God's purpose for you. And I'm being pharisaical if I reject God's purpose for me. And that I should be set apart by the blood of His, his Son and be saved and forgiven in the name of Christ. That's His purpose for all people in Acts 17.30. He's overlooked the times of ignorance, Paul says. And now he's calling people everywhere to repent. That was the message of John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, that was the core, uh, one of the uh, critical aspects of Jesus' preaching. Again, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, and if we, again, try to argue our way out of that or diminish it, then we're being like the Pharisees. If we're refusing to take part in the kingdom of God and be saved and be reconciled to Him. Another element of Pharisaism that we see, or being pharisaical, is found again in Luke, and this time in, in chapter 18. So if you're still in Luke, turn over to chapter 18 with me, and we'll read a couple of more verses together. So Luke chapter 18, and, and this time in verse 9. 
Jesus begins to tell this parable. And Luke records specifically the reason for for Jesus telling this parable. It says he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And the parable begins like this in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And he goes on to describe these two men who are praying, and the Pharisee begins enumerating all the things that uh, he's done for God and all the things that he's sacrificed. And then the focus shifts to the tax collector, whom Jesus says is unwilling to even lift his eyes up to heaven and is beating his chest because he is so sorry for his sins and is mourning over his sins and is praying for mercy. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And the lesson is in, in this parable that the Pharisees trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. The Pharisee in this parable is singled out as one who goes down to condemnation. At the end, Jesus says, I tell you, that this man, meaning the tax collector, this man who was mourning over his sins and acknowledging his sins to God, praying for mercy, verse 14, is the one who went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisees trusted to themselves that they were righteous. They viewed others with contempt. They exalted themselves. And so the problem here is self-trust, self-righteousness, and the despising of others. The real issue, as in other places, is that the heart of these Pharisees is far from God. That was the real problem. And all of the above points could even be summed up that we've made thus far, how they uh, trusted in their, their physical lineage, how they had all these traditions that they supplanted God's word with, that they elevated to the same plane as God's word, and that how they rejected God's purpose for themselves and thought that they were righteous in and of themselves, and so they viewed others with contempt. That's a, that's a heart issue. Their heart was far from God. And Jesus will actually tell them that in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 7, Jesus says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. So, hopefully by now we're beginning to get our head around how serious of an accusation it is to say of someone that you're being pharisaical. Because what they're saying is that one is is being self-righteous and hypocritical who is rejecting God's purpose for themselves because he or she does not have a heart seeking God. So if someone wants to say you're being pharisaical, biblically that's that's what they're saying. If we understand who the Pharisees were and what they stood for according to the passages that we've read so far. And I think a lot of times you know maybe maybe the label is used appropriately and and people need to re- be rebuked in such a way but a lot of times and most of the time i would say it's misused and i want to submit now to you and think about a few reasons um 
or a few instances, I should say, when someone is not being pharisaical, when, when do people misapply this label? First of all, I want to say that we should understand someone is not being pharisaical and someone is not being legalistic because he trusts in God and his word and seeks authority from the word of God. In John chapter 14, in verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So Jesus and the apostles taught, we need to have absolute trust in the word of God. And this is no different than what the Lord has expected from the time of Eden all the way up until now, he wants people to believe what he says, to trust what he says, that he is a God of his word, and he always will be. And Jesus himself is saying, if anyone loves me, here's what he'll do. He'll keep my word. And so someone is not being pharisaical or legalistic at all by emphasizing God's word and looking for uh, the authority of, of of what he thinks and what he says and what he does in his life in the Word of God. And one is not being pharisaical either when they stress, when he or she stresses the need to obey the Scriptures. So much of the world today sees the Bible, I'm afraid, as just a self-help book. That it's It was a book, uh, it's an old book that is filled with philosophies of how to make uh, us happy and comfortable, and, and if we just do what it says, we'll have this seamless, uh, pleasant experience throughout our life. But that's not that's not the purpose of the scriptures at all. The purpose is to show us how to be acceptable to God, to show us how to be reconciled uh, to God. And again, John chapter fourteen, we think about Jesus's words back up in verse fifteen. He says again, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." And Paul will later write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 19 that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. He'll say almost a parallel phrase in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. He will again say that circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters, the only thing that matters, he says, is faith working through love. So translated, faith working through love, what does that mean in, in Paul's mind? Well, he chose the same words in 1 Corinthians seven nineteen. It means keeping the commandments of God. Faith working through love is keeping the commandments of God. Just as Jesus says, if you love me, believe what I say, you have faith in me, you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so stressing the need to obey the Scriptures and obey Christ is not legalistic at all. The idea of adherence to the law of Christ is not wrong, even strict adherence. Nowhere does Jesus or Scripture chastise anyone for strictly adhering to what the law says. Not the law of Moses, but His law. But it's true even of the law of Moses. In fact, people think that Jesus condemned the Pharisees for being legalistic because they were doing uh, what the law of Moses says. But Jesus didn't condemn the Pharisees for a, a desire to adhere to the law. He condemned them, remember, for adding to the law 
and for neglecting God's commands for the sake of their traditions and for being hypocritical, Matthew 23 especially, in that chapter. In fact, he will tell them, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the weightier things of the law, justice and righteousness. And then he says, these things you ought to have done while observing the others. So he doesn't condemn them or rebuke them for adhering to the law. No, he says, you should be doing all of these things without neglecting the weightier matters either. What they were condemned for, again, was their hypocrisy, was their wicked heart, was their fundamental dishonesty with him and with each other. God commends in the Old and the New Testament people who strive to hear his word and to conform their lives to what it says. That's the attitude that we see in Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 31. He says that, so the world will know that I love the Father. I do exactly as he commanded me. What, what's, the, what's the attitude of Christ? What does love for God and the mind of Christ mean? He says, I do exactly as God commanded me, as my Father commanded me. An Old Testament example from Joshua chapter 1. In verse 7, as Joshua is addressing the people here, he says in verse 7, Be strong and very courageous, and be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of the law is not to depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So this mentality and this desire and this attitude of being careful to do all the will of God is far, far from being condemned in the Bible. And it is really held up, both in the Old and New Testament, it is held up as the ideal Stressing the need to do all the will of God, whereas Jesus says to demonstrate our love for God by doing exactly as he says is not pharisaical. It's not legalistic. And it's not legalistic to say that salvation is for the obedient. What does the Holy Spirit say in Hebrews chapter 5? Regarding Jesus, it says that being made perfect... He, that is Christ, became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey Him. He is the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey Him. And again we read in 1 John 2, verses 5 and 6, that where the Apostle John says that this is how we know that we are in Him. The one who says He abides in Him ought to walk in in the same manner as he walked. God is merciful and full of grace, but he has deliberately linked salvation with obedience to his teaching. And if we believe that salvation is given to us just because we did a bunch of things and that 
and doing that we somehow earn our salvation, then we have indeed missed the point of God's grace. Because grace and receiving God's grace teaches us to act consistently with God's will. You look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12 say that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The grace of God does what? It instructs us to live a certain way. And Titus, Brother Paul says to Titus, to deny ungodliness. The grace of God is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live righteously in this present evil age. And again, Jesus is reminding us that it doesn't matter how many things we do, we're still unworthy. But to truly receive His grace means to strive to walk in a manner that is worthy of Him. Luke 17.10, Jesus says, Even though you do everything that I commanded you, you say we are unworthy slaves, and we have done only that which we ought to have done. Obedience and grace are never at odds in the Scripture. So if someone wants to label you a Pharisee or something similar that happens to be trending these days, just remember who the Bible says those men actually were. They were staunch defenders of innovative error, and they were specifically defenders of their traditions that they had handed down and that they exalted as God's law when it was from their own imagination. You know the enemy loves to label God's people the very thing that he shamelessly promotes. It happens all the time. The scripture is telling us we can know better and we can have faith in what God has told us that we can stress the need to obey the scriptures, trust in his word and trust in him. And that is not being pharisaical. That's not being legalistic. It is in fact, imitating the very attitude that Jesus Christ himself had toward the commands of his father. I want to thank you again so much for joining me this morning. Hope that you'll Tune in again next week at the same time on Sunday morning at 10.30 as we study God's Word together. I want to encourage you again to ask your questions that you may have at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Once again, I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.